0: Hello and welcome to Running the Race, a pastoral perspective on living the Christian life in our day. To find out more about FBCG or to listen to more episodes, head over to our website, fbcg.net forward slash RTR. You can also find RTR on iTunes. Today's episode is a discussion of the LGBTQ ideology found within the Black Lives Matter movement and website. Our speakers are Dr. Jim Law, Senior Pastor at FBC Gonzales, and our Minister to Students, Alex Ray.
1: Hi, I'm Alex Ray, here with Jim Law, and today we're talking about the Black Lives Matter organization, and specifically, their focus and emphasis on the LGBTQ ideology. Uh, last week on the podcast, we talk, we looked at their purpose statement, and read from that, and, and looked at specifically their desire to disrupt, and that was their words, uh, disrupt the nuclear family. And today, we're looking at their full embrace of their sexual revolution, and, and from that, the uh, the belief system and their, their um, insistence on the LGBTQ uh, ideology. As well, And if you look at their um, their purpose statement, Jim, what's interesting is that they did a really heavy emphasis on uh, this trans language. Um, the, the word trans is used in some way, shape, or form uh, four times in the what we believe statement, which isn't terribly long. And there's a number of other uh, buzzwords, if you will, um, and terms that are in that ideology that's uh, listed all throughout. And, um, I think what's interesting when you look at the LGBTQ uh, emphasis as well is if you compare the emphasis of that today compared to just maybe a couple of years ago, uh, it wasn't always LGBTQ. It was it was LGB and then LGBT, and then it's just in- increasing and increasing. And uh, now it expands over ten letters, and they should add a plus sign to it. But I think when we look at maybe the history of this movement, it didn't start in a vacuum. It started with the uh, an emphasis on the sexual revolution, on the influence of the sexual revolution, I should say. And... What's notable about the the phrase, the sexual revolution, is that actually came out in the 19, mid-1930s uh, by a guy named Wilhelm Reich, who actually wrote a book and coined that phrase. And, his, and, and he wrote a book of that title, where the phrase came from. And, he, and this book, in the preface of that, uh, he wrote, the core of happiness in life is sexual happiness. And I think that is a really telling statement when we look at the the ideology and the mindset of the sexual revolution is that the core of happiness in life is sexual happiness. And so, uh, Jim, what are your thoughts on the sexual revolution?
2: Yes, you know, just uh, as we're even having this conversation today, it is uh, just wanting to interact with the Black Lives uh, Matters pr- purpose statement uh, because, you know, we believe that uh, from their purpose statement it really is a, a sinister uh, subterfuge that's not about what people think it's about. Um, we want to be really clear on the front end of this, uh, Alex, that as followers of Jesus Christ, that um, we can love all black lives and still op- uh, oppose the ideology of the BLM. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can love all black lives and still support law enforcement. Mm-hmm. We can um, love all black lives and still proclaim that the gospel is truly uh, the power of God and a transforming uh, salvation. Right. And we can love all black lives, and and still desire the unity of the church. And so, as we look at um, this uh, you know, purpose statement, what really comes out um, in our topic today is their full embrace of uh, this the sexual revolution uh, in the nineteen sixties. Uh, the sexual revolution. Um, really had its uh, birth in American culture and like a domino effect we're seeing um, through the the decades uh, to our present um, date uh, just an impact on um, on our culture and society our country and in the 1960s there was a, a deliberate throw off of traditional behavior related to sexuality. Mm-hmm. And so this sweeping cultural movement brought about really an increased acceptance of sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. Mar- marriage was to be monogamous. Uh, that, that's been set aside. Uh, n- n- the normalization of contraception, nudity publicly and mm-hmm. uh, on the movie screen, pornography. Uh, premarital sex homosexuality and then the legalization of abortion mm-hmm. all of this flowing out of um, this phenomenon in the 1960s so American society uh, was greatly influenced from its beginning by a biblical sexual ethic uh, marriage was 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 deemed honorable mm-hmm.
1: uh,
2: adultery was seen as destructive uh, children born out of wedlock was to be avoided because of the collateral problems that come with it so culture was informed by biblical guidance on marriage and the family and then you know as we think about these things as followers of jesus christ what are are we contending for let me just say that on the front end we're we're not we're not contending for a return to the good old days uh we're not even contending for some external traditional view of morality uh, we're contending to be faithful to the Word of God, and it is certainly not silent with regard to sexual ethic. Let me, let me just mention as a foundation on that, um, as followers of Jesus Christ, we believe uh, that we have a call upon our lives. We're not our own, the Bible says, the New Testament says. We're, we've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your, with your bodies, and so um, thinking with me just uh, about one verse in particular, Hebrews 13, 4, uh, let marriage be held in honor among all. Uh, marriage is, is honorable. Mm-hmm. And we read of that early on in the Bible as a, 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 um, a creation by God himself to provide stability and for human flourishing. And when that is ignored, it opens just a Pandora's box of of great human misery. So let marriage be held in honor among all, as God's people were to honor marriage between a man and a woman, as it's Mm -hmm. biblically defined, a monogamous lifelong relationship. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, that God has created a place for sexual expression, Mm -hmm. and it's called the marriage bed. Uh, God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. That, that is, that's, the, that's strong language. Right. And should give pause to those who receive uh, the Bible as God's inspired word. Mm-hmm. Should give pause to, to, to look at our hearts and our lives and how that informs uh, how we view the world.
1: Right. And that's something we talked about last week as well, that even though uh, we talked about how the... Um, the number of ex- examples all throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, where people didn't follow what the Bible says. Scripture says that marriage is between one man and one woman, and then it's very common to hear this retort of, okay, well, what about Abraham? What about David? What about Solomon, right. who who didn't do that? The Bible right. obviously condones that, and we we discussed that last time. Well, that, that's actually not the case. The Bible doesn't condone that just because it describes it, and we end up seeing the description that things don't go very well mm-hmm. uh, for those guys. And so there's a difference between the Bible describing something that happened in the Bible, saying this is actually a good thing, and and it's a very important distinction. I think that needs to be made, and so we, we certainly want to come back to what Scripture says about what what marriage is and why it's a good thing.
2: Yeah, and um, you know, just thinking back at the ni- in the nineteen sixties, I, I had a moment um, uh, about ten years ago. I was getting uh, the oil change in my car and was in the waiting area and began reading a magazine that was commemorating the fortieth anniversary of Woodstock. Mm-hmm in the summer of 1969. And, uh, of course, Woodstock was a a musical festival uh, in a pasture in upstate New York uh, that was promoted as three days of peace and music, and it attracted over 400,000 people. And so the magazine was looking back with reverie and um, a sentimental um, view of this uh, event. And really, this event uh, kind of captures the, the, the whole mindset of the sexual revolution. One of the um, pictures that, that I saw were just uh, uh, just a mass of people in the mud
1: mm-hmm.
2: with little clothes on. One who was attending um, Woodstock said, a half a million people asleep. These people were out. It was sort of like a painting of, uh, of a Dante scene, just bodies from hell all intertwined and asleep, covered with mud. And uh, just looking back at, at, um, at that event, it seems to capture the whole sexual revolution that has brought um, um, such um, a devastation to family life and mm-hmm. uh, the well-being of our, of our culture.
1: Yeah, so I think that's one of the, the main issues uh, as well is that not only do you see the physical repercussions such as um, the what the, the scene that you described here, but we also, um, when it comes to the prevailing mindset is, is for the sexual revolution and how we view sex as a culture, in my experience, uh, either it's just reading, um, either reading books or just talking to people face-to-face, it seems to be that pretty much, I don't know if they would say anything goes, but just about anything goes as long as everybody consents. And I want to note there, I didn't say both parties consent. I said everybody consents because now the number two isn't really – um, intrinsically valuable when it comes to a marriage relationship. Any kind of number can go, and there's a number of um, cases all throughout our country, uh, even right now, where people are in, in polygamous relationships and they're looking for a legal rep, um, recognition as a valid marriage. And so all that matters is consent. Do all the parties... Actually, consent. That seems to be the only thing that really matters. Uh, I, I came across an article um, by a name, uh, by a woman named Masha Green, who's a gay rights activist. And what's interesting, this was written, this was written in, in 2012, and so this was uh, around eight years ago. And she was speaking at an event. And she was arguing that the current mindset of marriage, which is one man and one woman, she was saying that that should change. And, and she actually doubled down. Not only should it change, it should actually end. And here's what she said. She said this, I have three kids who have five parents, more or less, and I don't see why they shouldn't have five parents legally. I met my new partner, and she just had a baby, and that baby's biological father is my brother, and my daughter's biological father is a man who lives in Russia, and my adopted son also considers him his father. So the five parents break down into two groups of three. And really, I would like to live in in a legal system that is capable of reflecting that reality, and I don't think that's compatible with the institution of marriage. And so that's someone who is absolutely brazenly honest about what the end game is here, the redefinition uh, and a transformation of marriage and, uh, as a byproduct of the sexual revolution, that again, once all that matters is consent, once all that matters is whatever, uh, ultimately it's arbitrary, I mean, we're, we're making this up as we go along, ultimately, uh, the 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 possibilities, I, I think, are probably virtually endless. And so with that idea in mind, um, and this devaluation uh, um, looking at sect is just a more more of a some, some sort of transaction what do we go forward from here? what do you think
2: well yeah i I think that that is a big question how does the church, how does the church respond um, to a culture who's really not interested in, in 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 the message, and is at the same time embroiled in a hopeless, unsustainable uh, sexual
1: uh, malaise. Right. So what what do you think, and and maybe perhaps before we go forward, uh, to where we go forward, what do you think the aftermath is, and then how do we go forward from that?
2: Okay. Yeah. I I think what we see coming out of the 60s is just an increased uh, normalization of the LGBTQ lifestyle, like dominoes. Um, over the last 50 plus years was the collapse of moral standards uh, in our culture that were uh, because of a Judeo-Christian biblical framework. Uh, So the LGBTQ agenda in America has really been an incredible success story, Mm -hmm. um, if gauged by advancing its acceptability and influence. Uh, I remember some years ago um, being introduced to the book by Marshall Kirk and Hunter Mattson, mm-hmm. uh, After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of, of, of Gays in the 90s. Is that Votie
1: Bakum? What's that? that? Was that Vody Bakum that introduced you?
2: Uh, I can't remember where I first heard of it, but I, I was gripped by their, uh, their strategy, and it, it's simple. Almost any behavior begins to look normal if you are exposed to it enough. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what's happened in American culture. How could you go from what was unthinkable to what's now normal? Right. And, well, you haven't in, in the field of entertainment, in academia, uh, in every fabric of American society, uh, society grabbing onto the sexual revolution, which... Uh, emphasizes content and human autonomy mm-hmm. and what makes me happy uh, uh, to the disregard of any kind of moral framework. And you begin to promote this as normal and normal and normal. And then mm-hmm. what we're talking about, we are, we're an outlier now mm-hmm. with regard to uh, these, um, uh, with these matters. So gay activism has been relentless in pressing the issues throughout culture. Um, and um, it really has been quite a success story involving entertainment, academia, sports. Sports mm-hmm. has been now a megaphone uh, for this um, BLM uh, uh, agenda
0: mm-hmm.
2: a- and, and sexual uh, revolution agenda. And then it's been encased in law in recent um, Supreme Court uh, decisions. So when we look back uh, at the, the BLM purpose statement, they make um, comments that are really kind of arresting. You think Black Lives Matter? They're dealing with uh, injustice in our in our society and these type of things, uh, but they're, they've really embraced this um, uh, the full breadth of the sexual revolution uh, from their purpose statement. Black Lives Matter. Um, uh, you, we are guided. By uh, actual uh, embracing of sexual identity, gender identity, mm-hmm. uh, gender expressions um, going on that uh, we make space for transgender brothers and sisters to, to participate and lead, um, a queer affirming uh, network. right. You know th- th- these are that's alarming language. I mean sure. and it's far beyond what people uh, would think that they're standing for. Alex, I, I think in just assessing it, th- this moral chaos is really unsustainable mm-hmm. because you have situations where it's spawning and it just uh, um, uh, has no end in sight, and it affects li- every aspect of life. Right. I think one of the things we're seeing, for instance, in the area of athletics, uh, when you have um, uh, a natural male entering into female Uh, athletic competitions. Right. Um, When you talk about the use of public restrooms, Mm -hmm. when you talk about um, just public policy, it's unsustainable. Mm -hmm. And I think of this descent into moral chaos um, as really just mirroring what Paul wrote in the first century in Romans chapter one. Listen listen to these words, uh, Alex. Um, Therefore, God gave them up, And the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Mm -hmm. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise uh, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves uh, the due penalty for their error. And then in verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Mm-hmm. Little wonder we see um, Bibles being burned in Portland.
1: Right. my have um, the other day. Yep.
2: Yeah. So as you... Look at this, um, you know, sex being reduced to to a transaction. Mm -hmm. Uh, How would you fill that in a a little more with regard to the LGBT community?
1: Yes, I think what we're seeing is, in addition to everything that you've already discussed, we transform even the idea of sex where it's not an intimate act between um, a man and woman in love and a committed relationship, but rather it's, it's a transactional sort of thing. And I and I heard this some time ago, and it's really helpful for me, the, the the distinction between a consumer relationship and a covenant relationship. And so a consumer relationship would be something like when you go to your, you go to your grocery store, um, it might be a neighborhood store, it might be a supermarket, no matter what it is, but you're probably going to go there uh, insofar as they have the best prices. As long as they have the best prices, you're, you're, your commitment is to them. Uh, that's a consumer relationship. So you might have been going there for 10 years, but if another shop opens up down the, uh, down the street and they have better prices, you're probably going to go there. And so you don't have any real connection there. You're, you're only there as long as it benefits you. Uh, but when, when something changes, you're, you're probably going to go elsewhere. Uh, that's, a con- that's a consumer relationship. Uh, the other um, distinction there, the covenant relationship, this idea that I'm going to be in a committed relationship um through thick and thin. And that's really what marriage uh, is all about. And so when we think about the idea of this devaluing of sex, uh, we made it more into a consumeristic thing. What am I getting out of this? Mm -hmm. And that's really all that matters. And then going back onto as well, into this emphasis of the uh, LGBTQ um, ideology is, I think this is one of the biggest issues for me personally, and I think perhaps worthy of its own uh, maybe separate discussion is what is this is this er, this erosion another erosion this um, of what is a man and what is a woman um, we, we there's a lot of language of transgendered men and transgendered women. What does it even mean to be a man? What does it even mean to be a woman? What, what is the objective definition of those things? If you have a biological male who identifies as a woman, such as in the case of the former uh, Bruce Jenner, and is then called a woman and wins Women of the Year awards, uh, multiple of those if I'm not mistaken, then what is a woman to begin with? What does it actually mean to be a woman? And so when it come, and to bring this back to the BLM, BLM movement, excuse me, how how does the Black Lives Matter organization fight for a group such as men or women if they can't even define what a man or a woman is? And so I think that's one of the biggest things that I I have uh, wrestled with as I, as I continue to think through this. That's another one of the think about kind of the the aftermath of all this. But but Jim, what do you think? Uh, how, we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Uh, how do we move forward from all, all this?
2: Right. I just, uh, for me as a Christian, uh, think more than ever that uh, a return to biblical authority. Uh, some years ago, Billy Graham made a statement that has uh, now become famous. Um, he said, If America does not repent, God will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. He wrote in World of Flame, which was written the year I was born, 1965. When Sodom and Gomorrah became guilty of the same sins that we commit, God judged them with fire and brimstone. We cannot claim to be God's pets. And so, um, you know, I, I, yeah, thinking, how do I stand on biblical uh, foundations and truth? I, I, three, three C's, Alex, as mm-hmm. we kind of close out this podcast. Three C's for us, as a, as a church and. Um, as followers of Christ, one would be to all of you. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Three C's, and I'll, I'll save the poem. But uh, compassion, <laughs> uh, compassion. God's people are to be a redemptive people who have never forgotten how much God has forgiven us. So, like the Corinthians before us, we've been washed from our sins, and we are called to go and sin no more. So, our mission as the church is not to fix anyone, let let alone LGBTQ uh, people. Our mission is centered in gospel proclamation that God has sent forth his son, and he's the redeemer of humanity. Christ is the one who redeems our lives. So how should we respond? Uh, how, how could we not respond with compassion when we learn that 80% of all lesbians have been molested? Um, should we not have some understanding with uh, th- those um, uh, who through humiliation and shame have have endured sexual abuse? Should we not sympathize with those who, who battle with their sin nature in ways that are different than ours? Uh, there should be compassion. So the media portrays the homosexual life, the transgender life as a carefree existence. It's not. Uh, I think secondly it would be con- conviction, compassion and conviction. The church, we must not be blown in, uh, by the wind. We've been given a prophetic calling God's people must enter into this issue and, and be informed. And the first order of business really would be to study what the Bible has to say about these things and to stand on the biblical record. Uh, I think by conviction, too, to be conversant. Uh, for instance, um, uh, with a culture at large, uh, Chaz Bono, who was the daughter born to Sonny and Cher, uh, claims um, uh, to be male. Uh, there's a, a gender in your brain, uh, Chaz Bono. Uh, said, there's a gender in your brain and a a gender in your body. For 99% of those who are in alignment, uh, there's an alignment there. Uh, For transgender people, there's a mismatch. So that's all it is. It's not complicated. It's not a neurosis. It's a a mix-up. It's a birth defect, uh, like a cleft palate. Well, how are we to respond to that? I mean, the culture at large says, yeah, that makes sense. Um, And human autonomy is is exalted above God's created order. Uh, well, I think we need to, to, to respond the way Ryan T. Anderson has, um, uh, has offered. And when Harry became Sally, responding to the transgender mu- movement, Anderson said the best therapies focus on helping people accept and embrace their bodies rather than attempting to do the impossible, re- namely reassigning bodies to line up with misguided thoughts and feelings. We should at least attempt what is possible helping people to align their thoughts and feelings with reality, including the reality of their body. And then thirdly would be courage. So we're on a cultural trajectory that has brought us to a place that has exalted human autonomy to to unbelievable chaos, confusion, and dysfunction. And so um, compassion, conviction, and courage, that's what we're called to to be if we're going to be light and salt Uh, for Jesus Christ. Thanks, Alex, for this conversation today. Let's be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord.
0: Once again, thanks for listening to today's Running the Race podcast. We hope you'll join us in a couple of weeks for our next discussion. And don't forget to share the podcast with a friend who would find it helpful. Until then, you can visit www.fbcg.net for more information about our church and ministry. Thanks. God bless and goodbye for now.